Valentine's Day. Some of you men are in trouble. We will pray over you. Uh, I hope Dana is not one of them. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to continue our study of the Beatitudes. I'm going to read verses 3 through 12 of Matthew chapter 5 as we continue to look at this path of discipleship. If you ever get confused about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, just go back and read the Beatitudes. It is a path. It's not the path, but it is a path of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Christ says this to the disciples, to us. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, because they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, because they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, because they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, because they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, because they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessedness, then, is a condition of well-being that results from being right with God through our salvation that's offered through Jesus Christ. Our blessedness wants us, helps us to know God, to love God, and to be blessed by God so we can in turn love others, bless others, pass on the faith to our children, our grandchildren, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, so they can be blessed with the love and the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ. It means accepting and experiencing God's grace and mercy that transforms our lives into the likeness of Jesus. The result is a changed lifestyle that is expressed by holy living. A lifestyle on a journey of wholeness that impacts every area and every aspect of our lives. How we love one another. That's the point and purpose of the Beatitudes. It's a path of transformation that begins with the confession of sin, poor in spirit, being broken over our sin and separation from holy God, mourning. We humble ourselves before God by receiving a gentle, serving spirit to serve others in the name of Jesus. And our desires change from self-consumption and self-righteousness to that of being hungry and thirsty for the righteousness of God in Christ. The next four Beatitudes really are about how to live out that righteousness. Those who are blessed by God bless others with His grace and mercy. We looked last week at those that are merciful will be shown mercy. In other words, those to whom mercy is given, we are to in turn show mercy to others beginning at home with those closest to us. But now our journey begins a little deeper. 
It deepens and focuses on the real changes that have to take place, and that's in our hearts. And as I was planning this sermon series out, it was uh, only fitting that we would talk about being pure in heart on Valentine's Day. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. I want to see God, don't you? I want to see Him. One day, I want to see Him in His total totality. I want to see Him face to face, if you will. But in the meantime, I want to see God in Jesus Christ. And that's really what the key here is. Uh, I want to see God. I want you to see God. And what Jesus is saying here is that the pure in heart, they will see God. How will they see God? How do we see God? We see God when we see Jesus. When we see Jesus working in the world and working in people's lives, and when we see how He lived and how He wants us to live, when we obey His teachings, we begin to see God. The path, then, of being a disciple of Jesus means to see God and follow God by seeing and following Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 9, Those who have seen me, talking about him, have seen the Father. Now, that's either the truth or it's a lie. If it's the truth, then, to know God, you've got to know Jesus. You can't just know about him. You're not going to know him through through some mysticism or some other world religion or some uh, 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 concept that you're going to make yourself better. In order to see God, you've got to know Jesus. Jesus said, those who have seen me, those who have seen him, have seen the Father. So the goal of being a disciple then of Jesus is to see Jesus, to follow his teachings, to live his way. And that's how we can know that we are on the path to being pure at heart. Let me see if I can make it plain to you this morning. I, I am a graduate civil engineer, and I did a lot of land surveying as a young man, particularly as a teenager with my dad, who was also an engineer, and we, we did a lot of, of land surveying. The surveying we did today is not even legal because they got all this GPS stuff, but we used a plumb bob. And I, I was, my job was to be on the dumb end of the chain. All I had to do was hold a, a tape, it was, it was a metal chain, and I had to hold the plumb bob over a point while my dad with the transit shot line, he called it. But a plumb bob is used by builders, it's used by architects. It's used by anybody that wants to have a straight line. It has a point on the bottom, has a weight, and gravity then makes it straight up and down. It gives a point of reference. I want to submit to you that Jesus Christ is our plumb line. So what's yours? I want to submit to you the world is totally out out of whack. Because the plumb line of the world has become everything but Jesus. Economics, politics, education, success, power, position, prominence, redefining what the family is, doing whatever you want, 
from lots of folks. Their plumb line is their life. It's how they live. It's what they believe. We live in a society today that if, that what, if it's okay, it, 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 you're okay, I'm okay. You can believe whatever you want, just as long as it doesn't impact me. The Bible is very clear. In order to be a Christian, you've got to have a plumb line that you judge your life by the teachings of Jesus Christ. And not by what somebody else thinks. The Bible's clear that the path of righteousness is a path of getting a pure heart. We're going to talk about that today. What's your plumb line? Sometimes we judge ourselves by other people. We compare ourselves to people in our family, our friends, people we went to school with, people in the culture. And we try to decide, are we successful? How are we doing? How are we going along the way? Well, I'm telling you, the older I get, the less I'm impressed with anybody except Jesus. There's very few people in the culture that I admire, and very few that I believe, honestly. The older I get, the more I'm convinced that the only person I am to follow is Jesus, and I want to know Him in His fullness. And that's what the Beatitudes are about. That's what being pure in spirit, pure in heart, is all about. The word heart is a Greek Greek word, cardia, K-A-R-D-I-A, cardia, from which we get our English word cardiac, throughout Scripture, the heart is used metaphorically to represent the inner person, the seat of motives and attitudes, the center of personality. But Jesus takes it deeper than that. It means the control center of my mind and will, as well as emotion. To use a computer analogy, it would be our heart is our operating system. Our hearts have been corrupted by sin, by self-centered living, by bad choices we have made or others have made. Try as we may, we cannot fix ourselves. We need a new operating system. And that's why Jesus came, to restore mankind to our original relationship with Holy Creator God. And to do so, He sent Jesus to come and live with us and in us and to teach us how we are to live. Jesus came to give us a new operating system called the Holy Spirit and a new life, a new way of living called His way. It's called the Jesus way. That's what discipleship is all about. It's following the Jesus way. This new way of living is based on God's transformation through the presence of Christ living in me and wanting to live His life through me. When I finally get that, that Jesus is living in me, the living Christ that we sing about, that we've sang about this morning, the, the one who lived and died and lived again, that He lives in me, but He also wants to live His life through me and in me. When I get that, then my whole perspective on life changes. Paul said it this way in Ephesians. He said, in Him, in Jesus We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace that He lavished on on us with all wisdom and understanding. When we come to understand the redemption, what Christ has done for us, then we understand that this imputed righteousness that he He has declared in us 
He has implanted in us holiness. And so the rest of our life then, from whenever we start following Jesus, the rest of our lives is the outworking of the holiness of God in me. So the longer I follow Jesus, the purer my heart is to be. The more I'm like Jesus and the less I'm like myself. Does that make sense? There's more of him and less of me. Thus we come to the sixth blessing in the Beatitudes. The pure in heart. They will see God. How will they see God? They will see God by his working in their lives. Pure means without alloy, without blemish, unmixed, or single-minded. The psalmster said, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. I want to be able to ascend one day to the hill of God, to stand in his presence. And the only way I can do that is to have clean hands and to have a pure heart. We like purity, don't we? Who of us, when we were growing up, and who of us even 20 years ago would have thought that Americans in 2020 would spend over $12 billion on bottled water? Now think about that. I wish I'd have thought that up, didn't you? I mean, my goodness, there'd be no debt. Of, I mean, just think about it. If you, 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 how your life would have been changed if 20 years ago you'd have thought, well, I'll take that water, and I'll put it in a bottle. Why do we do that? Well, we live in Hendersonville, Tennessee. And I'm telling you, the chlorination, they love chlorination in Hendersonville, Tennessee. The chlorination, is, it stinks. It's so uh, prevalent in the water. So we, we buy bottled water, and not just any bottled water. We are snobs about water. So we go to Somerset, hello, and we buy water that is bottled in Middlesboro, Kentucky, comes out of the mountains, true, now, it may come out of a well someplace, I don't know, but it says it comes from Middlesboro, but I'm telling you the water that we like has a better taste than any water we've ever could buy from Walmart or where else, why, because we like purity, some of you don't just don't have bottled water, you have a water filter in your house. Or you have a Brita or something before you drink water. You pour the tap water through the Brita before you drink it. Some of you are just redneck enough, you don't care. You just drink, you'll drink it out of a pond or out of a, you know, out of a puddle out in the water, uh, you know, that, that's got water in it. But whatever. We like purity, don't we? We like pure water. We like pure air. We like clean food. God wants and sent Jesus Christ to make our hearts pure, without alloy, without blemish, unmixed, single-minded. We may look clean on the outside, but some of us are filthy on the inside. I told you that Matthew is a commentary in the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 15, Jesus is challenged in Matthew chapter 15 by the Pharisees. The Pharisees and scribes came to Jerusalem to see Jesus and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? 
for they don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus goes on to say to them, he summoned the crowd, verse 10, Matthew 15. He told them, listen and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of his mouth that defiles a man. Then the disciples came up and told him, do you not know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard this statement? He replied, every plant that my heavenly Father didn't plant will be uprooted. Leave them alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind guide the blind, both will fall into a pit. And then Peter said, please explain to us the parable. Verse 16, are you still lacking understanding, he said. Do you not realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this defiles a man, a person. It's not what comes out of us, it's what's in us. And that's why Jesus came to change our hearts. He didn't came, come just to give us a bunch of rules. You know. And if you keep the rules, it's okay. No, that's like putting a vicious dog on a leash. Jesus came to, to, to tame the dog. He came to, ch- to change our hearts. He came to change everything about us, not just set rules and regulations, and not just to teach us how to behave. He wants us to believe. And once we believe, our behavior begins to change. The teachings of the Pharisees was an outward display of righteousness, but little emphasis on changing us, changing the heart. Jesus came to change us from the inside out, to change everything about us. He, he said in Matthew chapter 23, he, he ended somewhat his public ministry with these woes to the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup so the outside of it may become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and every impurity. In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. may not be true of you and me. May we be people that are on the path of purity. We're seeking to be pure in heart. And you notice in the in the Beatitudes, that every one of these steps, is, it's a progression. He didn't start out with talking about pure in heart. He's talking about being poor in spirit. He talks about mourning over our sin. He talks about uh, having a, a serving spirit and hungering and thirsting for righteousness and, and receiving mercy and then giving mercy. So how do we, how do we, how do we have pure heart? Well, my prayer for you on a regular basis is that, as Brother Don Bratcher shared with us earlier, that you'll be prepared when this new pastor comes, that you'll have pure hearts. So how do we get on that path? How, what, what is it, what, what's a path that we can, can get on? Well, turn with me to Proverbs and uh, 
Solomon has given us a path. Proverbs chapter 4, it's verses 20 through 27. It is the path of purity. It's a path of how to have a pure heart. So Solomon says, verse 20 of Proverbs chapter 4, My son, I would say my son, my daughter, my children, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one to one's whole body. And then verse 23, he said, Guard your heart above all else, for it is a source of life. Don't let your mouth speak dishonestly, and don't let your lips talk deviously. Let your eyes look forward, your fix your gaze straight ahead. Carefully consider the path for your feet, and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet from evil. Guard your heart. Early in the computer world, one of the terms I learned in college back when I was in the University of Kentucky, the computers were about the size of this room, literally. And I remember one of the phrases we learned in computer science was garbage in and garbage out. One day I took some of these little punch cards. I'm dating myself. Some of you don't even know what a punch card is. But I took a stack of punch cards to run a computer program about a hydrology project I was working on. And I did something wrong. (laughs) I don't know what I did. But it was supposed to come out with a three or four page computer printout. And when I went to get it, it was a box full. And I told them that was not my program. So I did not (laughs) I had put garbage into that computer, and what had come out was that garbage had come out. It's true in life. Whatever you put into your heart, that's what's going to come out. When you get angry, what's in you is going to come out of you. And Solomon challenges us to guard our hearts. Because what's in them is inevitably going to come out of us. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the ruining of your mind, that the testing you may discern, but by testing you may discern what is the will, the perfect, good, and acceptable will of God. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, and true righteousness and holiness. He says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So what's the path to purity? It's confession. Some of us, it has been a long time since we had a confessional with God. 
You don't have to pray through a priest. You don't have to pray through a pastor. You don't have to go to somebody else and air all your dirty laundry. But there are times that you and I need to clean up our act. In Psalm 51, you know the psalm. It's the psalm of David's sin in his life after he had sinned with Bathsheba. And he said, be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love. According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I'm conscious of my rebellion. And my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. David is confessing his unrighteousness and his sin. The first step in purity is to admit that you're impure. It's the first step in the Beatitudes to admit that you're poor in spirit. And then Solomon says, there's a path here. Guard your heart. He said, the first step is guard your mouth. I can still hear the words of my mother when I was a teenager. I would talk back to her. I was was disrespectful. She and I argued. And I remember her telling me, I was about 15. And she looked at me and she said, Danny, one day your mouth is going to get you in big trouble. And she was exactly right. What's in us will come out of us. I'm amazed at people that claim to be believers in Jesus. When nobody's listening or they don't think anybody's paying attention, the vulgarity and the obscenities that come out of their mouth. A friend of mine in Henderson who was a pastor and said he was one day on the golf course. And I'm telling you, if any place will make you cuss, it's a golf course. So if you don't play golf, it's probably just as well that you don't play because it'll bring out the worst in you. But he, he was on about the third hole, and these two guys he was playing with were cussing every other word to their ball. They were talking their ball and cussing. And finally, he went up. He'd had enough. He went up to him and said, listen, I'm a Baptist preacher. I can't talk to my ball like that. Would you talk to my ball for me? I've been with, I play golf, and I've been with a lot of golfers that I've had to eventually say something like that to them, and they'll eventually say, oh, well, I go to church. I told one man that was using God's name in vain about every third word, and I said, you know, the God you're cursing, I love. So here's the deal. Every time you curse him, you've got to give me time to tell you how he's blessed me. Well, let's shut him up. But that didn't change his heart. You see, what's in you is going to come out of you. Bitterness, anger, control, spirit of of bondage. Guard your mouth. Our language is the mirror of the soul. It takes no intelligence to have a filthy mouth. 
The psalmist wrote, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. We have two granddaughters, six and eight. And we're careful what we say around them because I want to tell you, they will repeat everything. Paul Paul said this. <laughs> well, I don't only be, want to be careful around my granddaughters. I want to be careful because the Holy Spirit's living in me. I want to be careful how I talk about my Lord. Listen, listen to me, church. I want to be careful about how I talk about my church because people are listening. I was in a pastor's conference years ago, and this guy came in and uh, was telling this story. It was, he'd been in another conference, but he, we were talking about how we need to be careful about our words because words matter. And he said he was, had been in this conference for a couple of days, and, the, and there was a man at the table that kept talking about his wife, how wonderful she was. And, and the, the third morning, he came in and said, listen, I, my wife's become ill. I've got to go home. And the pastor said, well, I've never met your wife, but the way you talk about her, she must really be something. Wouldn't it be something if people said, well, I've never met your Jesus, but the way you talk about him, he must really be something. I've never been to Eastwood Baptist Church, but the way you talk about it, it must be something. You got music down there. You got a loudmouth music guy up here that <laughs> he's not in here right now. We'll talk about him. But but you know what but 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 be careful. When you go to a restaurant, if you have fried preacher, there are gonna be people who are gonna eat some of that as well. You gotta be careful what you say. Your words matter. How you say them matters, not only to our families, but to those who aren't listening. Then he says, guard your eyes. David lingered on the rooftop and looked at Bathsheba as she bathed. I'm not patting myself on the back, but I don't watch R-rated movies. I just don't. Life is R-rated enough. I don't need to have that in my home. Some of you need to clean your act up. You're listening to trash. You're paying for it to be on your television. Get rid of it. Don't watch it. Guard your eyes. At least one-third of men and older teenagers are addicted to internet pornography. At least a third. There's people in your church. I don't know who they are, but there's people, particularly men, that are addicted to pornography. It's visual. It's more addictive than cocaine. Guard your eyes. God wants to transform us and set us free. Then he says, guard your feet. Not only guard your mouth. Don't let mouth, your mouth speak dishonestly. Don't let your lips talk deviously. Let your eyes look forward. Fix your gaze straight ahead. And then he said, guard your feet. I don't know what your temptation is, but I'm telling you, those of us that are followers of Jesus, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to draw a line in our lives 
and you stay well behind the line. What is it that tempts you? Whatever it is, allow the Holy Spirit to convict you when you get close to the line. I don't go to bars. I go to restaurants that have bars. But if they want me to eat at the bar, I go, no, I'm not going to do that. My feet don't need to be under a bar because they were there for too many years. There's places I just don't go. Guard your feet. You need something to do to stay away from evil? They'll put you to work here, right? Hello? No, we don't have any pastors in here, but, right? There's stuff to do. If you need stuff to keep you from evil, when I got back into church in February of 1976, I needed to stay out of the bars, and so I called the pastor and said, what can I do? So I went witnessing with him. I showed up to WMU on Thursday night. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to be there. I walk in, got my Bible, and uh, there's a bunch of women there. And I walk in, and they go, what are you doing here? I said, I I heard y'all was doing Bible study, and I need to be in Bible study. (laughs) They fed me, and they was nice to me, but then they let me know, you ain't supposed to be here. (laughs) There's things that you need to do to stay away from whatever it is that's tempting you. And coming to church is serving is one of those ways. And then... Finally, what's you finish the sentence. Stay away from or quit, and you finish the sentence. Some of us have got stuff in our lives that God wants to remove. It's, it's like we think it's hidden sin. Nobody's going to know. God knows. I don't know if it's a true story, but it's, it, it's a powerful story. I read a story about a pastor in Haiti, told it, supposedly at a missions conference, about a man who wanted to sell his house. Now, houses in Haiti are really cheap. He wanted to sell his house for $2,000. Another man wanted to buy it, but he didn't have $2,000. He had 1000 So the owner agreed to sell him the house, but on one condition. He said, I still own the nail that's over the front door. You can have the house for $1,000, but I own the nail, and I can do whatever I want to with that nail. And the guy said, hey, that's fine. You want to own the nail? Fine. So several years later, the previous owner came back and said, I want to buy the house back. And the owner said, no, I'm not going to sell you the house. He said, well, you remember I own the nail. He said, I remember. So he went out and got a dead dog carcass. And hang, hung it on the nail. And the house became so unlivable that they had to move out. You see, if you give the devil even one nail, he will hang his rotting garbage over the door of your life. Some of you have got a nail this morning that needs to be removed. That you need to ask whatever it is, that habitual temptation, that habitual sin, that bitterness, that hatred, that vile attitude, that, that pessimistic spirit, whatever it is, and allow God to take it from you.
the example of a purity to others. I'm in a position where people look to me for spiritual guidance and have for years. And I feel the weight of that and the responsibility of that. And I'm telling you, the pastor of this church, I, myself, as a leader in the denomination, I should be above reproach. There should be nothing that you couldn't come into my life and take my phone and take my computer and look at how I live and go, he's good. It doesn't mean I don't have sin, but it means, means, mean, it means that I need to live what I say I believe. And that's true of every one of us. That's what the Beatitudes are all about. More than anything, I want to see God, don't you? I want to see Him face to face. And Jesus promises that the pure in heart will see God. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a moment this morning. We're going to open this altar up. We're not going to leave without you doing some business with God. All right? That's what we're going to do. And if you need to come and either pray for yourself or somebody in your family or just pray that God will refresh you and renew you, that God will give you clean hands and a pure heart. Let's stand together. As we stand together, I'm going to pray, but I just want you to make your way. Anybody that wants to come to this altar, and we'll give you just a few minutes to pray before we sing ourselves out of here. So, Lord Jesus, we, we come to you today, God. You are our plumb line. And, Lord, we know that we cannot measure up, that we are sinful, self-centered, oftentimes self-righteous people. Lord, we want to be filled with you today, God, so we come to confess to you that we need you. We desperately need you. And, God, we as a church, we want to be able to offer to this new pastor as this search team prayerfully and spiritually searches for the right person. We want to be able to offer him and you clean hands and pure hearts. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. You come and join us.